This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. When we talk about medicine, I think it's quite important to think about what, what is medicine. Right? It is the study and intervention of human physiological systems and physical systems and psychiatric systems when they are dysregulated, to attempt to correct what is going on to improve human health. And in order to do that, we have to have a deep understanding of not only the dysfunction of these systems, but how they function when, when doing healthy things within our bodies. And so, to me, the term medicine really means applied human biology. And as every biologist knows, we have a favorite quote, which is that nothing in biology makes sense except in the light of evolution. And this means that to understand the organizing principles of any organism biologically on this planet, we need to understand its evolutionary history and the series of selective pressures that have shaped that organism to function the way it does in the particular context in which it finds itself. And as an anthropologist who studies maternal health and infant development, I have a particularly favorite adaptation that I care about. And it is the synthesis of milk from mammary glands, which is the defining characteristic of our mammalian class. It's, it's, as Barbara pointed out, why mammals are at risk of breast cancer, because we have mammary glands. And mother's milk, initially a random mutation for a minor secretion that perhaps hydrated young or provided rudimentary immunofactors, has been shaped by hundreds of millions of years of evolution and natural selection to become increasingly complex, such that it provides nourishment for young It provides comprehensive immune protection for the pathogens babies are likely to encounter. And it also provides bioactive hormones from maternal circulation that cross over into the infant and influence infant physiological regulation. It is due to this complex biofluid that is food, medicine, and signal that has led every major governmental and non-governmental organization to recognize mother's milk as both liquid gold and breastfeeding as the gold standard of early life input from the mother. However, because of the ubiquity of milk within our environment and its seeming replication in the form of artificial breast milks that you can buy at the store, we have come to take milk for granted and think of it as a standardized, systematized, simple kind of thing. And we've lost sight of the things that make it incredibly complex and special. And it's that we have not actually identified what are liquid gold standards. We do not have a systematic understanding of milk, how it varies, what that variance does when ingested by the infant. And these are fundamental things that we need to uncover in order to better manage infant health within the neonatal intensive care unit and better target our public health interventions. And so I think an evolutionary perspective is incredibly important in order to both design and and effectively target research studies, but also to help inform our understanding of this dynamic system. Because lactation is a complex adaptive system in which natural selection has shaped mother's physiology and their mammary glands to synthesize milk in complex ways.
And there's a fundamental thing that I think is very challenging when we're, when we're thinking about managing the health of a mother and an infant. Because we think about how do we optimize that infant's outcome in that particular time and place for the challenges that infant is handling or trying to handle. And this is challenging because natural selection has not shaped mothers to optimize the outcome of a particular infant. Natural selection has shaped mother's physiology to allocate investment in young across an entire reproductive career to maximize her reproductive success across her reproductive lifespan. And because of this, we see that there are going to be a number of trade-offs in how she allocates resources between her own body and how she's nourishing her infant. Just like I can only spend a dollar once, an organism can only burn a calorie once. And if that calorie is burned on immune function, it's not available to allocate toward infant development. And we see the signature of these trade-offs broadly in how mothers are synthesizing milk. But this evolutionary life history perspective has not been systematically integrated into medical approaches within infant care management. The important thing there is that this food, medicine, and signal of milk is going to vary across all mothers. The presence and abundance of particular milk bioactives is not standardized. And in fact, the signature in milk across each individual mother is going to be different. When we look at milk synthesis across every single potential scale of consideration, we find that milk varies. It varies across species. It varies across populations within species, across individuals within population, within individual across lactations, within individual within a lactation. And we can actually see the synthesis of milk and the composition of particular bioactives shift from hour to hour throughout the day. And so to, to kind of think about what are the, the signatures that we see in the milk a mother synthesizes. So uh, Dr. Elizabeth Quinn has shown that just the fat content in milk, right, you can go to the store and it's processed and you can get it at 3%, 2%, 1%, or where the fat's entirely removed. But across human populations, the mean value of the fat content in their milk is substantially variable. We see gradients between rural and urban communities in things like their minerals, fatty acids, hormones, and, and, and sugars within milk. We see the signature of cultural ecology in the form of subsistence patterns in their milk. Uh, this has been shown for fatty acids, immunofactors, sugars, and minerals. Melanie Martin, now at Yale University, has shown that among forager horticulturalists in the Amazon, that the omega-3 fatty acid concentration in their milk is not only higher than that which is found in the breast milk of women living in the Ohio River Valley, but their ratio of omega-3s to omega-6s is closer to what we consider to be most healthy for infants. Across individuals, when we look at dairy cows as a, as a model for lactation biology, humans and monkeys as another model for human biomedicine, we find that maternal characteristics are going to leave their signature in milk. Mothers who have better body condition, lower parasite loads, and, and greater social capital or access to resources are going to synthesize milk in different ways than mothers who are more constrained. We see this in the volume of milk that they're producing, the fat concentration, and hormonal signals. Similarly, across these same species, we find that the infant's characteristics are also implicated in the variation of milk that mothers are synthesizing. So the age of the infant at birth in terms of gestational age, 
the infant's sex, whether it's male or female, and whether or not the infant is sick are all implicated in different aspects of milk composition and, and production. This differentiated biological recipe in milk has been found broadly across a number of different mammal species. And it's important to understand that this does not necessarily mean that mothers are making better or worse milk for either sons or daughters. But where sons and daughters have different developmental priorities, different developmental trajectories, we can expect that the milk that mothers use to nourish them is going to influence aspects of those developmental trajectories. When we go to the grocery store or the pharmacy, there's different deodorant for men and women, right? But when we go into the infant formula section in the grocery store, it's one size fits all. And we do not yet have enough information scientifically to say that that's not best practices. We haven't allocated the research effort to understanding could we get better infant developmental outcomes if we had more tailored milk for them, for infants who don't have access to breast milk for whatever reason. Across time, we see that mothers early in their reproductive career, dairy cows, seals, and, and monkeys I work with, that... Adolescent mothers make different milk than mature mothers. That across parodies, mothers make different milks. This can be in the nutritional components as well as the hormonal components of their milk. And the signatures that this may leave in infant development are still poorly understood. So lactation is an adaptive contingency system in which mothers that have access to more resources are able to upregulate aspects of milk synthesis or mothers that are constrained downregulate milk synthesis to protect their condition for future reproduction. And this is shown both through the milk that they're synthesizing and their behavioral dynamic with their infant. And this is a function of maternal resources and their allocations among different trade-off priorities. Right? An adolescent 13-year-old human mother is going to be constrained in her capacity to synthesize milk. So that means that clinical support for that mother-infant dyad is going to have to take into consideration the, the cascading trade-off allocations between her condition and the condition of her infant. And this is important because where milk production is constrained, where milk production is insufficient, we see impacts on infant development. So milk composition and milk volume is implicated in infant growth, their immune function, how microbes colonize their intestinal tract, their cognition, and their behavior. You see this in animal model systems in a variety of different human settings. And this is quite important because in the, in the media, we're seeing a lot of pushback on the specialness of breast milk or the importance of breast milk because it's really centered around a narrative of best-case scenario. For full-term infants that are born healthy and raised in incredibly protected and buffered environments, the effect size that's transferred by being breastfed or formula-fed is going to be fairly moderate. But when we anchor the narrative to those best-case scenarios, we lose sight of many situations in which the consequences can be quite a bit dire. So if we think about the premature infant born in the less than 39 weeks, that ends up in the, uh, you know, the very, very young infants, 25, 27, 29 weeks of age that spend a substantial amount of time in the neonatal intensive care unit. Breast milk or bioactive features of breast milk can be absolutely critical for their health. If we think of children growing up in spaces with uh, substantial infectious disease risk, 
than the immunofactors that are present in breast milk and not found in other alternatives are going to be very important. In settings in which there's a substantial risk of development of allergies or other kinds of autoimmune kinds of challenges, then breast milk may be a buffer to that. And even when we think about that best-case scenario where individuals are most buffered and the effect sizes are most moderate, when we scale those up across a population, the health consequences add up and the healthcare dollar costs add up substantially. So we need to think about not just best-case scenarios, not just one-shot interactions, but at, at public health population levels as well. So this is a complex adaptive system, and we can use that understanding of these systems and how they've been shaped by natural selection to identify particular strategies and targets for interventions. So some aspects of milk synthesis are going to be quite flexible, some are going to represent constraints, and some are going to be fixed as a function of genotype or other kinds of variables. In these situations where these represent trade-offs of the mother, we can use public interventions, access to resources, social justice, and public health interventions like the WIC program to help improve the resources so mothers are not trading off to the same extent as they are when they have fewer resources. When the constraints become more fixed, when there isn't a capacity to influence mothers to upregulate their milk synthesis or shift their milk composition, then we have opportunities in which evolutionary insights can yield important uh, advances to how we approach milk management. Okay. So right now we see that 20 million infants are born premature across the globe each year. Uh, the vast majority of these are happening in the global south. And these infants are administered milk as a clinical intervention. So this is either donor milk, formula, or other kinds of commodified milk products which have their own bioethical considerations. Right now, these milks represent mean values as though they, we know the gold standard. And this is a erasing of a lot of the individual or more specialized tailored features of the milk. And these products and interventions are based off of mean values among what we would call, or what Joe Henrik would coin, weird populations. Westernized, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic populations. Okay? Weird. They're weird. And they do not necessarily reflect ancestral conditions or the uh, diversity of milks that mothers are making. Right? But if we make this our gold standard, and it's not actually the best target for us to replicate or match, then, then we're going down a suboptimal pathway. So we can think about what do we know about milk? What, what has already been found out? And can we from there design clinical trials and other kinds of studies to see if there's added value space within clinical care? So right now in the NICU, some form of milk is being provided. Can we do better if we start thinking in terms of precision milk along with other aspects of precision medicine? Right? So can we do better if we match milk for the, whether the child or the baby is a son or a daughter? Can we do better if we give morning milk in the morning and night milk at night? Right? Adults and children have a circadian rhythm in which our glucocorticoids are higher in the morning and lower in the afternoon, in the evening, and while we sleep. Right? Babies don't have a circadian rhythm. 
they get information about a circadian rhythm through their mother's milk. So what happens when we provide day milk at night? Does that excite the baby systems? This is an empirical question for which we do not have published information at this time. For babies that get milk, um, could we do better if we match donors in a selective way? That we add value by picking milk from particular life history stages or mothers of particular genotype in the donor donor options. It's an empirical question. We don't yet know. The FUT2 genotype influences what sugars um, and whether or not they're fucosylated are present in milk. And these are important for influencing the microbial colonizations of the infant's gut. Can we target pooling milk across mothers to create a super milk that's going to be quite important for particularly vulnerable or sick infants? Can we mix glycans to maximize uh, the health of the microbial systems colonizing the infant's gut? Can we provide particular microbes to those infants? Uh, Right now, all of the milk processing um, techniques in the neonatal intensive care unit involve neutralizing these components of, of milk that we know are potentially uh, quite important. And lastly, can we co-opt and bioengineer milk bioactives from other species that are solving evolutionary problems that have importance for infants in the NICU today? So when you look at the marsupials, kangaroos, wallabies, they're born at very, very early stages of development. They they have very undeveloped lungs. And there's milk bioactives within the milk that their mothers synthesize that accelerate the development of their lungs specifically. Could it be possible to, to, to replicate or bioengineer that in ways that we can provide it to these 25, 27, 29-week-old infants who are at huge risk for pneumonial disease because their lungs are undeveloped. And there are people in Australia working on answering that question right now. They're using an evolutionary perspective of how natural selection has shaped adaptations to solve problems that have implications for the unique challenges that humans face in in our particular cultural context. And lastly... When most of this has been talking about donor milks and bioengineering, but there are many infants who do not have access to milk for a variety of reasons. There are metabolic disorders, other kinds of illnesses in which mothers are not able to synthesize milk. There's historical traumas and cultural contexts that make it very difficult. There are infants who are raised by wonderful families that don't include a mom. And these families rely in very important ways on formula, artificial breast milk. How do we make a better artificial breast milk that delivers more of the important bioactives in milk to help enhance those infants' development? These are the kinds of things where we can take an evolutionary perspective, apply it to a variety of clinical and, and cultural settings to improve human health. And this is what it means to be thinking evolutionarily to approach medical condition challenges of human infants. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.